You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Game number 82 in what has been a very satisfying regular season, but by no means the final game of the season for the Knicks. The Nets wrap up their regular season today. Also, in fact, it's the final day for the entire NBA regular season. All 30 teams will be in action. Masters continuing. The two-horse race is becoming a three-man showdown as Victor Hovland is joining the party. For the most part today, it has been Brooks Kepka with a two-stroke lead over John Rahm, but Victor Hovland on a little bit of a hot streak, and he is now two behind Rahm and four behind the leader, Brooks Kepka. Let's get to Anita's Lock of the Week, brought to you by Rock Spring Golf Club. In our golf hour earlier this morning on the tee, Anita joined me to give me her locks at that time. Uh, they're still very much relevant, so we're going to go with that. Right now, you can get John Rahm to win the tournament it's plus 140. Again, it's round three going on right now. Rom and Kepka, the leaders, are through 15 holes. Kepka is minus 12. Rom is minus 10. You can get Rom at plus 40. There is also an offering. The winner of the tournament without Kepka or John Rom. Anita earlier today gave us two names. One, Patrick Cantlay, and the other, Colin Morikawa. Now, again, she gave us those before they teed off on this Masters Sunday. Right now, you can get Cantlay at plus 300. Morikawa is more of a long shot now as he has fallen off the pace. He's plus 1,400 for that. Cantlay is minus six. So in terms of players outside of Kepka and Rom, Cantlay is two strokes off the pace. Morikawa is minus four. He's only four strokes behind Victor Hovland in terms of that bet. So... Some pretty decent odds for Morikawa at plus 1,400 as the Masters continues. And that's Anita's Lock of the Week brought to you by Rock Spring Golf Club. Golf fans, check out Rock Spring Golf Club in New Jersey. All right, Pat O'Keefe with you, 1-800-919-3776. Uh, we'll get into the Mets. We spent a lot of time on the Yankees. And uh, Garrett Cole, is he or isn't he uh, underappreciated now in his fourth season in the Bronx, Yankees and Mets both won yesterday. Yanks four to one in Baltimore. Mets five to two at home against Miami. They'll go for the sweep of the Marlins this afternoon at City Field with Carlos Carrasco on the mound against Braxton Garrett. A 140 first pitch. We'll give you the Mets starting lineup when we get it. Uh, the Yankees starting lineup is is standard. Frenchy Cordero is starting uh, in right field today for the Yanks, and uh, Aaron Hicks is back to the bench after his RBI single yesterday. Let's go to the phones and go to Eddie on Long Island. Hey, Eddie, how you doing? Hey, Pat, how are you? Uh, good, just want to make two quick points. Uh, happy Easter. Happy Passover to everybody. Thank you. Uh, number two, uh, it's great to be a New York fan. Uh, I think we're doing great. I expect the Knicks to beat the Cavs. And here's my question. A lot of people are comparing Volpe to Jeter. And with his strikeouts and, and everything like that, and we're looking to, to put him under. But if I don't recall, when Judge had come up, he was very high on strikeouts. They sent him down, and look at the player that he is now. i like everybody to just give Volpe a chance. He's new. He's a kid. Loves New York. Let's see what we can do. I'm going to hang up, and, uh, and I'll listen. Have a great day. Have a great holiday. Bye. You too, Eddie. Thanks for the call. I, I think everybody is um... – on board with Anthony Volpe right now. And again, the best case scenario for this, because you knew everybody who you spoke with, former baseball players, 
um, analysts, everybody who covers this game on a day-in and day-out basis, especially the former players who have gone through it, have said that he is going to go through a tough stretch. He got an opportunity to perform in the spring. He knocked it out of the park. No pun intended. Okay, he won the starting shortstop job. It almost seemed too perfect in the spring. But number one, that's spring training. You're not playing against all guys that are going to be in the major leagues. It's a different feel. It's a different level of pressure than when the lights come on and the regular season begins. I don't think he's been affected by the pressure. I think this is normal course of action for a 20-year-old in this position for the first time in his career. And, and how many spots in sports can you list that have more of a spotlight on it than shortstop for the New York Yankees? Very, very, very few. So that's the spotlight that this kid has stepped into. I don't think the pressure is too big for him. I think he's fine. And I, you don't hear anybody complaining about it, which is great. Our last caller made a good point. Aaron Judge came up in 2016. That was the year that the Yankees decided to break down. They traded Roldis uh, Chapman. They traded Andrew Miller. They traded Carlos Beltran. It was the only scenario during Brian Cashman's entire tenure where the Yankees were a seller at the trade deadline. By the way, that year they still almost made the playoffs. They had a late run in September that almost got them into the wild card spot. They didn't. But what they did when they sold off those high-priced assets and Chapman and Miller ended up facing each other in the World Series that year as the Cubs beat Cleveland in that epic seven-game World Series, they also gave an opportunity for some of the kids. They brought up Gary Sanchez, and he was lights out. They brought up Aaron Judge. They brought up Tyler Austin. If you remember that first game in August, Judge's first game, he was the ninth hitter. Tyler Austin was also making his major league debut. He was the eighth hitter. So that tells you something right there. Tyler Austin was further ahead on the pecking order than Aaron Judge. Austin hit a, a home run in his first major league at bat. Judge stepped into the batter's box and hit, I, I don't know the name of the restaurant now, but at the time it was called the Mohegan Sun. You know, the black in center field, the restaurant with the black glass window. He hit that in his first major league at bat. That's how he started his career. But you look at his numbers from 2016, he struggled. He played 27 games. He had a 179 batting average. He had 84 at bats. And he struck out 42 times. And the next year, Judge was not named the opening day right fielder until the last day of spring training. He was the last player to make the roster. And that year, his first full season in the majors, he got off to a hot start. And then in the middle of the year, he really struggled. He ended up striking out 208 times that season, leading the league. But he also walked 127 times, and he also hit 52 home runs. He led the league in runs scored. He led the league in home runs. He led the league in walks, and he led the league in strikeouts, was the rookie of the year, and was the runner-up for most valuable player in the American League, losing out to Jose Altuve. So, yeah, there are some similarities there. I think Anthony Volpe's fine. I love the way the Yankees are handling this, and the reason why – I think it's a topic of conversation. Frankly, for me, this is very un-Yankee-like how they're handling Anthony Volpe. This is the right thing to do. And in these situations, I think the Yankees in the past have been too cautious with their high-end prospects. And by the time these high-end prospects that you hear so much about get an opportunity to play at the major league level, something's happened along the line where they're supposed to be taking their lumps in the majors and fighting through it there, but they have to do that in the minors and they lose their confidence or whatever it is before they get to the major leagues and then they 
cease to be productive major league players. And they're not doing that with Anthony Volpe. You saw the video, the emotional video, when Aaron Boom called Volpe into his office at the end of spring training to tell him he made the team. And what Boone said was, as he set it up, and it was a really nice moment and well done by the Yankee manager, but what he said was, we still feel that we need to see some development. And that's the point where Volpe thought he was being sent down. And then Boone followed that up by saying, and we feel that development should happen in the major leagues. You would want to see more of that. But the problem is the Yankees are under this immense pressure to win every single season that they have in the past at times not felt comfortable having a young player develop himself at the major league level. But it's similar to the conversation we had earlier in the show about Garrett Cole when callers are calling me and telling me he's not an ace. And I'll say to you, okay, maybe he's not an ace, but in the vein of CC Sabathia or David Wells in 98 or El Duque in 99, maybe he's not that. But who is in Major League Baseball? My point being, what's the alternative to Garrett Cole leading your rotation? The same logic applies to Anthony Volpe, right? If the Yankees didn't start Volpe at shortstop this year and give him that job, what would the alternative have been? Another season of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa? That's why the Yankees made the right choice here. And it's unyankee like and that's why we continue to discuss it. Because, frankly, here we are a week and a half into the season— I'm still surprised the Yankees gave him the starting shortstop job. He had to make it so overwhelmingly clear that he was the right guy for the job for them to give him that spot. And now when you watch him struggle, and he's got four hits and 25 at-bats, and he's got a 160 batting average. He had a big triple yesterday. His first extra base hit as a major leaguer, almost his first home run. But as you watch him, you can see the tools are there. You can see the speed, and you just hope that the Yankees don't pull the plug on him. You just want them to ride it out. Now, what can prevent them from doing that? If the Yankees go into a swoon, if they start to lose and this kid is not producing, you could see the Yankees sending him back to the minors. I, for one, do not want to see that, and I'm not sold that the Yankees aren't going to do that. My hope is that they won't. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Fran in Massapequa. Good morning. What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm a Mets fan, so just bear with me and, and a Knicks fan. But this is that's allowed. The Volpe, yeah, the Volpe guys. It, nobody cares about the Yankees, first of all, except Yankee fans. I just want hope they know that. So when Mets fans and everybody else hears people talking about the Yankee fans, they like they're like, ah, oh, here we go again. You know, wow, let's feel bad for the Yankees because Volpe's feelings are hurt or whatever. But yeah, I just can't stand the Yankees. But that's because of jealousy. But anyway, Derek Cole is a, is a beast. Any, any Yankee will take him on a Mets in a second. He might not have been good in the postseason or whatever it is. The book is on him, but his stats, the, this is the guy's a beast. I'm sorry. Because like, like you said, take him out of rotation and who's your number one guy? It won't come close to him, you know? And, he's as good uh, as that, there is in baseball right now. He's as good as there is. He's, 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 he's solid as a rock, that guy. And I, listen, and at the beginning when he first came here, I'm a Mets fan, like I said, I didn't like him. I don't know why, maybe because other people didn't like it. Maybe that whole Houston thing, they hated everybody, you know, from the Astros that cheated, you know. But the guy's a beast. Stats, one thing about it I love about sports, stats don't lie. Stats do not lie. Now, talking about the, the Mets, oh, my own. We take a guy like that in a minute to pitch for us. I just hope the pitching, I hope the pitching staff can hold up. And with the Knicks, I'm a little worried. I'm worried about the Cleveland series. 
he should be on our team. Uh, what's his name? Uh, and I'm, I'm just I'm worried about that series. What do you think about that? Someone's trying to get through to me. I apologize. Have a great day. Brand, thanks for the call. You too. Uh, yeah, I think there's reason to be concerned uh, for the Knicks in their first-round series against Cleveland. They're not going to be favored, and they shouldn't be. But I think they'll win the series. I think since Cleveland got off to a really, really, really hot start. Mitchell was playing at an all-NBA level the first month and a half of the season. Actually, he's played at an all-NBA level all season long. He's going to be either all-NBA first team or all-NBA second team. But they got out of the gates really, really fast. And for a time, they were the top team in the Eastern Conference till things leveled off for them. And Milwaukee and Boston and ultimately Philadelphia took their spots above Cleveland in the standings. But if you look at the Knicks and the Cavs from December 1st, the Knicks have been a better team. They've been a better team overall. They've been a better team head-to-head. Cleveland has a better starting five. The Knicks have a better bench. The Knicks are better coached, even though J.B. Bickerstaff has done a very good job as their head coach. I don't think it's a huge advantage, but I just love the way that Tom Thibodeau has coached this Knicks team this season and it really ironically started with the game against Cleveland on December 4th. I mean, it's funny. There's so many comparisons and ties between the Knicks and the Cavs. Donovan Mitchell, the Knicks season turning around on the 4th of December when the Cavs came into the Garden when the Knicks were at their low point and the Knicks blew them out and held them to 81 games. They've played two games since then, the Knicks winning both of them, including a week and a half ago in Cleveland on a Friday night when the Knicks didn't have Julius Randle and the Cavs didn't have Jared Allen and Jalen Brunson exploded for 48 points. There are a lot of ties. It's going to be a fascinating series. It's going to be a really close series. I think if Julius Randle plays, the Knicks should win the series. But it's close. It's very close either way. I also think that if Randle doesn't play, I don't write the Knicks off. I think it's going to be extremely difficult. Cleveland probably wins. But I'm not sitting here and saying, no, Randle, you can't win the series. I still think that with this team, especially with Josh Hart, Josh Hart is the key. And you'll see it in the playoffs. If Randle, let's say that Randle can't play games one or two. Dallas was in a similar situation last year, and this is what made Jalen Brunson Jalen Brunson. Luka Doncic last year hurt his calf game number 82. Keep that in mind as we get ready for game number 82 today. Luka hurts his calf game 82. He had to miss the first two games of the Mavs playoff series against the Jazz. Jalen Brunson exploded in both of those games. They split them. They almost won both of them. Then Luka came back for game three. Brunson was terrific the rest of the way, and the rest is history. That Mavericks team went to the Western Conference Finals. The Knicks could find themselves in a similar situation. You know, it's not an all-or-nothing thing for Randall. Just because he doesn't play in Game 1 or Game 2 doesn't mean he's out for the entire series. Maybe he needs an extra week. Maybe he needs an extra four days beyond the initial two-week diagnosis. We don't know. But let's just say Randall isn't available for the beginning of the series in Game 1 next weekend, either Saturday or Sunday. Obi Toppin will start as he has been. But in crunch time, and you can write this down, in crunch time, on the floor for the Knicks at the power forward position is going to be Josh Hart. And that's going to be a tough ask because of the size of Cleveland. Evan Mobley is a center size at the power forward position. But Josh Hart is going to be responsible for that spot in the crunch time minutes. It's not going to be Obi Toppin. If Randall's back, obviously it's Randall. If not, Obi starts... Josh Hart finishes. By the way, Hart's going to finish one way or another, okay? But if there's no Randall, he's going to finish those games at the power forward spot. If Randall's there, Hart's going to finish those games at one of the other spots, along with Brunson, along with the center, along with Randall. So Hart will be out there at the expense of either Quickly or Grimes or R.J. Barrett.
You can write that down. Mets lineup is out. Tommy Pham in center, leading off. Starling Marte in right. Lindor at short. The red-hot Pete Alonso at first. Mark Canna batting fifth. DHing today. Jeff McNeil at second, batting sixth. Eduardo Escobar, who had a big home run yesterday, batting seventh at third. Francisco Alvarez getting the start behind the plate. And Tim LaCastro, the former Ithaca bomber in left field, starting for the Mets, Carlos Carrasco on the mound. More of your calls as we continue. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you on this holiday weekend, Sunday morning on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. John Rahm is at nine under par, three shots off the lead, and Victor Hovland has gotten himself back in it. He is at minus eight, one behind Rahm and four behind the leader, Brooks Kepka. Round four is scheduled to begin from Augusta at 1230. The pairings will be playing off of both the first and the 10th tees to try to get everything in today. Again, the Masters has not finished on a Monday since 1983. They don't want to move into Monday this year. The conditions are good. The sunset is at 754 tonight in Augusta. So that is the time by which they are trying to get Everyone finished and the green jacket awarded to the winner. Listen up, baseball fans. ESPN New York is giving you the chance to score an amazing road trip and travel with the home team when New York visits San Francisco. You and a guest could catch a game and enjoy round-trip airfare, two-night hotel accommodations, and 200 bucks in spending money. For official rules and to enter, visit the ESPN New York app and click on Travel with the Home Team. It's all brought to you by the engagement experts at London Jewelers. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York, 1-800-919-3776. Back to the phones we go, Will, in Jersey City. Good morning, Will. Hi, guys. Thank you for taking my call. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you, too, Will. Thank you. I, I, I love your points, right? And I'm a longtime Yankee fan for about 30 years, right? So my, my whole thing is I, I follow the Anthony Volpe career ever since the minor leagues and, and, and even high school, right? However, the point is you, you, you say um, the, the position as a shortstop at the New York Yankees is of high, um, of high regard, right? Yep. And being of a high regard, how do we go into a season where IKF as a shortstop and then transitioning him from third base to shortstop? That's the first thing, right? And then the second thing is we, 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 were, we were in a whole situation in where this past free agency market, you had some high-level shortstops, right? And, and, and if the priority is having a big-time shortstop, and mind you, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I love Volpe. Why didn't we go after a Turner? Why didn't we go after a Carrera? Why wouldn't we go after a lefty bat like, like Seager, right? And just not put as much pressure on this kid, right? Because he's a kid. And I know New York loves him. I love him. Put him at second base. Put him at second base. Let him settle in because he's going to struggle offensively. And right now, where we are in baseball, shortstop, yes, it's a defensive position, but it's also an offensive position, right? And I think he's doing a great job defensively, but he's going to struggle offensively. If he's hitting 190 in, in June, are we still going to stick with him? That's my question. Thank you. I think the answer to that, Will, and thanks for the call, is yes, if the team continues to win. I do. At least I hope you do. First of all, you hope that he's not hitting 190 in June, but if he is, I think the team continues as long as, as, long as they're winning. Now, if the team stops winning, and they're winning right now, 
They're five and three. They win today. They're six and three. They would have won their first three series to begin the season. They have a good chance of winning today. They have Nestor Cortez on the mound, but it's baseball, so you never know. But if they continue to win, yeah, I think they continue to stick with him. The Yankees didn't bring in a Trey Turner or a, well, Seager was already locked up the year before. They didn't bring in one of those guys because they don't want a $400 million payroll. You know, they pay Judge $400 million. They paid Garrett Cole, as we all know and been talking about this morning, $324 million. John Carlos Stanton is not playing for free. The Yankees have one of the highest payrolls in baseball, but they have limits. They have constraints. They don't want to have the highest payroll in baseball. That now, that role, that mantle now belongs to the team across town from the Yankees, the New York Mets. Their owner doesn't require as many constraints or limitations on his team's payroll as the Yankees do. So they can't have a $300 million player at every position. You've already got three of them in Judge and Stanton and Garrett Cole. What's the point of having a farm system and developing players like an Oswald Peraza or an Anthony Volpe if you're just going to every offseason sign the biggest and most expensive free agent on the market? What is the point of that? So if you were to sign Trey Turner and keep Anthony Volpe in the minors or move him to second base, well, if you keep him in the minors, then when does Volpe get his opportunity? Because if you sign Trey Turner, it was going to be for a long-term contract. So that's your shortstop for the next decade, just like he will be in Philadelphia. If you move Volpe to second base, what do you do with Glaber Torres? You have a second baseman who's still in his mid-20s, who right now has been the best hitter on your team. So that would have worsened your offense if you put Volpe at second and took Torres out. What are you going to do with Torres? So, no, I agree with what the Yankees are doing. And, again, you hope that he comes around at some point. Here's the thing. Nobody's right now, or at least they shouldn't be, eight games into his career worried about his production. First of all, look around Major League Baseball as a whole. Look at Garrett Cole's numbers this year. He's thrown 12 innings. He's given up one earned run. He has struck out 19 batters. The pitching with the pitch clock, with the weather, is far ahead of the hitting early on this season. So it's not just Volpe who's struggling. So as long as the Yankees continue to win, I think Volpe continues to play shortstop. And again, I like what they're doing with him. I do. I like that they're not jerking him around, you know, four days on, two days off, or they're doing this stupid rest roulette thing like they did last year. Even when they had Donaldson for the first five games of the season before Donaldson went down with the hamstring injury, even before they had him, you know, it was Torres who was being jerked around, or it was LeMayhew, or it was Josh Donaldson. They left Volpe alone. They left Rizzo alone. Those are the two guys they need to leave alone. But you know what? They need to leave all four guys alone. You know, this nonsense of not having continuity in the infield. The outfield's a little bit different. But the nonsense about not having continuity in the infield and not seeing the importance in that is one of the most absurd things and one of the things I hate the most about where baseball is. And the Yankees got so cute last year, and they did it for two months before they finally decided to pull the plug on Joey Gallo. But do you remember how ridiculous that was last year? when the Yankees had nine guys for eight spots, if you exclude the catcher, and Hicks had to get a start, and Gallo had to get a start, and Stanton, and Judge, and Donaldson, and Torres, and LeMahieu, and Rizzo. That was absurd last year. 
and they did it for two months. And fortunately for the Yankees, the pitching was brilliant early from Colin Cortez and Severino. The bullpen was lights out early. So the Yankees were winning at an historic rate last year. They were 52-18. and 18. So they just continued doing what they were doing. Do you remember last year on April 15th on Jackie Robinson Day, Aaron Judge wasn't in the starting lineup because it was his day to rest? That was absurd. First of all, it was absurd for Aaron Judge. I don't care what we're celebrating, all right? April 15th, a week into the season, and you're resting Aaron Judge? A week into the season. Never mind the fact that he's one of the most prominent African-American baseball players in the sport, and you're resting him on a day that celebrates just that. That was absurd. Rest him on Saturday if you really have to rest him. But my point is they were actually doing that, and they were just thumbing their nose at the importance of continuity. You know, the 2009 Yankees, the last Yankees team to win the World Series, who was their infield? Every Yankee fan can recite it easily. It was A-Rod at third. It was Jeter at short. It was Cano at second. It was Teixeira at first. Each and every day. None of those guys ever had to walk to the ballpark, show up at the ballpark, and check the lineup to see, A, am I playing? And B, if I am playing, where am I? Am I DHing today? Am I playing third base today? Or am I on the bench today? No, they were in the lineup every single day. And since Josh Donaldson has gone out, the Yankees fortunately have that again. They have LeMahieu at third, they have Volpe at short, they have Torres at second, and they have Rizzo at first. That's a pretty good infield. 1-800-919-3776. Yanks and Mets both in action about two hours from now. Uh, we're taking you right up until Knicks pregame. The season finale for the NBA, for the Knicks, for the Nets, game number 82 here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Eduardo Escobar, who's 3-for-28 this season, had a big two-run home run in the sixth inning to give the Mets a 5-2 cushion in support of Kodai Senga, who was terrific again for his second straight major league start. Six innings, three hits, one earned run, and he struck out six batters. Pete Alonzo continues to be on fire. He's hit four home runs in his last three games, a two-run blast in the fifth inning yesterday, and he's got five home runs on the season. The Mets today, Carlos Carrasco on the mound against Braxton Garrett, 141st pitch from City Field. Tommy Pham getting the start in center as the lineup looks a little different for Buck Walter on this Sunday. Starling Marte in right, Francisco Lindor bats third at short. Alonzo cleans up at first base. Mark Canna, the fifth hitter, and he is the DH. Jeff McNeil at second, bats sixth. Eduardo Escobar at third base. Francisco Alvarez getting the start behind the plate. He got a really nice ovation when the entire roster was introduced and lined the first baseline on opening day on Friday. And batting ninth is Tim LaCastro getting the start in left field today with Carrasco on the mound. The good news for the Mets, they play the Marlins today. And against Miami this season, they are 5-1. and one. The bad news for the Mets after today, they won't see them until September 18th when they go to Miami for a three-game series, September 18th through 20th, and they'll face them once more at City Field September 26th through the 28th. A uh, quick check of the Masters. Brooks Kepka minus 11. John Rahm minus 9. Victor Hovland minus 8. Hovland is finished with round 3. Rahm... And Kepka, the two atop the leaderboard, Kepka and Rahm, I should say, are playing 18 right now. So round four 
the traditional fourth round in Sunday at the Masters is supposed to begin at 12.30 in Augusta as it looks like a beautiful day down there. A little chilly, but bright sunshine, uh, beautiful clouds in the sky as I'm watching the coverage right now. And it's shaping up to be a terrific fourth round. We'll see if Cantlay, he's hung around. He's at minus six. He's five shots off the lead. He's finished with round three. Hideki Matsuyama, who won this tournament two years ago, is at minus five. He's hanging around six strokes off the lead. He's finished with round three as well. It looked for a while like it was going to be a two-man race. It's definitely a three-man race right now as Hovland is only three shots back of the lead but we'll continue to watch the proceedings from Augusta. But back to the Mets and their win yesterday. Uh, Sanga has been great in his first two starts. He only allowed a home run to Jazz Chisholm. That was his one mistake yesterday. Uh, his first start of the season against Miami, a rough first four batters. After that, he certainly straightened himself out and was terrific. And then he backs that up yesterday. Uh, two for two so far for their free agent acquisition from Japan, who has been a terrific addition so far. Afterwards, yesterday, Pete Alonso spoke about Senga acclimating to the Mets, Major League Baseball, and to America. I mean, his English is getting better every day, and he's been embracing not just the American lifestyle and culture, but he's embracing every single guy on this team. And it, it's been really special to see because, I mean, it's it's different. I mean, he's got... Um, all of his family back over at home and for him to, to perform the way he has and for him to have the poise and discipline and, and for him to execute the way he has it's it's really special so I mean I, I can't imagine what what he's going through because you can only experience it by doing so what he's been able to do has been really special and it's, it's been really fun to watch. Alonzo says another thing that was special yesterday was Eduardo Escobar's big home run. He's a special individual in the best way possible. I mean, he's a, he's a great teammate and a great human being. And, I mean, for he's been playing unreal defense for us. He's been impacting the game in a huge way, which I feel like has gone a little unnoticed because he's been so good defensively over there. That's, that's really saved a lot of runs for us defensively. And for him to come through and, and kind of put the dagger in the heart, I mean, that was, that was huge for us. So for him to start feeling better and, and really get in there, that was awesome. I mean, I thought we did a great job up and down the lineup, grinding at bats and uh, getting the starter out uh, in a, relatively early in the ballgame. It's going to be huge for guys like Escobar and Mark Canna to produce offensively because one of the big questions for this Mets team early in the season, outside of Alonzo and Lindor, where is the offense coming from? Brandon Nimmo is doing his usual terrific job getting on base at the top of the order, but you need this lineup to be more than Alonzo and Francisco Lindor, which makes a guy like Eduardo Escobar uh, huge. He tailed off towards the end of last season. He did not have a great spring training. He got off to a very slow start, but a lot of excitement in that dugout when he hit that home run yesterday in the sixth inning. He is, again, 3-for-28 to begin the season, but that was a big home run for him and for the team. Schedule gets tougher after today. After Miami leaves town, the San Diego Padres come in for a three-game set this week, Monday, Tuesday night, Wednesday afternoon. And then the Mets head out west for a lengthy road trip, three games in Oakland, three games in Los Angeles against the Dodgers, and four games in San Francisco. So if you don't catch the Mets this week, either today against Miami 
or the three games against San Diego. They're not going to be back in New York after the San Diego series until the 25th of April. Hopefully the weather is a lot warmer by then. But a tough 10-game road trip. Oakland's not supposed to be good, but traveling to the West Coast is always difficult. A good early season test against Los Angeles and then the four-game series in San Francisco against the Giants. So this series against Miami wraps up today with Carlos Carrasco taking the mound and taking on Braxton Garrett, the first pitch from City Field at 140. Uh, some NBA news and notes as we are on and have a reached the final day of the regular season for the Knicks and the Nets, and the playoffs are right around the corner. Knicks pregame is also right around the corner, coming up right here at 1230 as we continue on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. The NFL draft is less than three weeks away, and all indications are that that deal will be made official by then because – Green Bay wants to use whatever draft compensation it receives in exchange for Aaron Rodgers in that draft. Green Bay is a team that is not breaking everything down just because they're trading their multiple-time MVP and future Hall of Fame quarterback. They have who they think is their heir apparent in Jordan Love, and they're not an overly taxing division in the NFC North. Um, So they're planning on operating by trying to go and win the division next year and get themselves back into the playoffs, which, by the way, they had a chance to do this year until losing in the games in the season's final game to the Detroit Lions. So just because they're trading Rodgers doesn't mean they're breaking it all down. I know a lot of times these days in sports when a star is traded, that's the logical next step. That's not the case here. The, the draft compensation appears to be something in the neighborhood of a second-round pick. The Jets have two of them this year. They're in the early part of the second round. Uh, It appears to be one of those second-round picks. And then a future pick, probably with some conditions attached, maybe a third-rounder that could bump up to a second-rounder next year, depending on Rodgers' or the team's performance. Or maybe it could even bump up to a first-rounder next year, depending on Rodgers' or the team's performance. I would, if I'm the Jets, attach uh, the team's performance to a conditional first-round pick because that's really what it's all about. That's why you're bringing Aaron Rodgers in here next year. You don't care, not that you don't care, but the most important thing isn't for Rodgers to throw for 4,500 yards or 5,000 yards. The most important thing is for him to get you deep into the playoffs. So if you attach a condition of, well, if the Jets reach the AFC championship game, that third-round pick becomes a first-round pick, that's fine because that means you have reached the AFC championship game. So I would attach that to team performance as opposed to individual performance. But the reason why tomorrow is a big day is because Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be in New York visiting with the Jets hierarchy about a possible signing as a free agent. And that is the next step or appears to be the next step in the construction of this team in the mold of Aaron Rodgers' vision. And I think that's a big part of this. I think Aaron Rodgers has made it clear that there are certain players he wants to be a part of this organization should he come to play he's already said that he intends to play for the Jets this season and Odell Beckham Jr. is on that list now what does he have left coming off the ACL tear that he suffered in February of 2022 in the Super Bowl a Super Bowl in which he was dynamic before the injury and scored the game's first touchdown 
but he hasn't played since. He is a guy who has battled injuries throughout his career. Remember, his career got off to a false start. He missed the first four games of his rookie season with the Giants. He's been hampered by leg injuries throughout his career. This was different. This was more severe. This was an ACL tear that obviously takes a long time to recover from. If he can be close to the player he was during the postseason run with the Rams last year before the injury, that is huge for this Jets team. It just gives them another weapon because he's not coming in here to be the savior of that receiving core. He's not even coming in here to be the number one guy. They have a number one receiver in Garrett Wilson. He's the number one guy right now. Lazard adds depth. Odell Beckham Jr., if you can get a guy like that who's even 80% of what he was before the injury, and I'm not talking about the early Giants days when he was absolutely dynamic. I'm talking about what he was before the injury that he incurred in the Super Bowl. If he could be 80% of that guy, and that's your third wide receiver or your second wide receiver opposite a guy like Garrett Wilson, that's just incredible depth at that position, especially with a guy like Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. Diana Rossini was on Barton Hahn earlier this week. First, an update on Rodgers, or is there an update? You know, the holdup is still the language in this contract, you know, if Aaron decides not to play a second year, you know, so so they're still working that out. Packers want this thing done by the draft. Obviously, the Jets want him in the building. Coach Salo wanted him in the building three years ago. But until they can agree, and they're talking, this isn't like a chilly relationship. Things are good. It's just someone's going to have to give here. That's a little frightening for Jets fans. The prospect of Rodgers coming here, you have all of this excitement and his tenure lasting only one season. You want him for at least two. You would love him for three years because I think he has three years at a pretty high level still left in him. He has kept himself in great shape even though he didn't have his best season last year. All we need to do is compare what Rodgers did last year to what Zach Wilson did. We're not comparing Rodgers to what he did three years ago when he was the NFL MVP. We're comparing Comparing what Aaron Rodgers is right now to what the Jets had at that position and what they had with Zach Wilson and what they had wasn't any good. And Mike Greenberg on the Michael K show, Greeny says that even if it's for one year, the Jets should still do it. I still like it. If it doesn't work, look, I'll be the angriest person in the world, obviously, but what I will not say is that I think it was the wrong decision to try. I think it is the right thing to do. The only team that should go out and sign Aaron Rodgers is a team that is Aaron Rodgers away Mm -hmm. from having a real chance to win the whole thing, and for the first time in a very long time, we are that. Like, we are Aaron Rodgers away from being a legitimate contender in a a loaded AFC, so I, I think that they are doing the right thing. And that's the most important thing. It is a loaded AFC, but Aaron Rodgers still at this point with the talent around him is as good as anybody else outside of Patrick Mahomes. And he's not that far away from him either. Look, Rodgers had just, it it was, first of all, it wasn't as bad a season. If you actually examine the numbers of what Rodgers produced last year, it certainly wasn't up to his usual standards. His usual standards are so high And it was one of those years where the team and Rodgers were just in a rut. They were tired of him. He was tired of them. The entire season, it was heading towards this separation, which now is inevitable. And that culminated in the final game of the season when, despite everything, they still had a chance to get into the playoffs. All they had to do was beat the Lions at Lambeau Field, and they couldn't. But that doesn't mean that Rodgers is done. Is he on the back nine of his career? 
Yes, but all careers and all back nines are not created equal. He's on the back nine of one of the greatest careers that this sport has ever seen. As far as the Odell Beckham Jr. piece, Diana Rossini on ESPN Radio gave the latest on that and why the Jets make the most sense for OBJ. Right now, I know his camp, his side of it, they are looking at the situation, trying to see what's going to happen with the Jets and the Packers, if they're going to get this deal done, and then obviously in Baltimore, because Odell Beckham Jr. wants to play with a really good quarterback, and I think if, if you were to look at all these teams that we're talking about, it would make the most sense for him to go to New York. The amazing thing is you look at all the great quarterbacks in the AFC right now, and it is slanted heavily towards the AFC, especially with Rodgers presumably leaving Green Bay. Tom Brady no longer in Tampa Bay. Obviously, it starts with Mahomes. You have uh, Josh Allen. You have Joe Burrow. Uh, Justin Herbert, I'm not as high on him as others, but he's still top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I just don't think he belongs in the same sentence as certainly Mahomes, but not Burrow and not even Josh Allen, but he's still a top-notch quarterback. And then if you could add... Aaron Rodgers to that mix the Jets are right there because you can make a very strong argument that if you take the quarterback position out from all of those teams Buffalo San uh, San Diego excuse me Los Angeles the Chargers Cincinnati Kansas City you take the quarterback position out and you just judge it on talent on the rest of the roster I think you can make a very strong case that the Jets have the most talent out of all of those teams think about that that means they are literally an Aaron Rodgers away from really contending to go to a Super Bowl, and that's a really, really nice place to be. So the uh, NFL draft is less than three weeks away. It's going to be really interesting to see if and when Aaron Rodgers comes to New York to join the Jets.